Oi, gents. You know, there's nothing I like more than a good old castle raid. Yeah, I gotta say... This is one of our best raids ever. Yeah, I think it's going real nice. King didn't put up much of a fight. He's got treasure all over the place. Yeah, these kings just like to put all their treasure in this stupid castle. It's so easy to loot. Yeah, you know, uh... He's hoarding all this wealth. I think it's cool that we're just taking it back for ourselves. Yeah, a little redistribution, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You can't really steal from a king. That's what I always say. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It's uh, Everything's going pretty much according to plan. Didn't put up much of a fight. But the thing is, I heard there was a little something saucy about the princess. Oh, yeah? What's that? That princess is something else. I've heard rumors about her. Oh, yeah? What kind of rumors? Well, she's kind of loopy, you know? She's not like other women. How do you mean? Well, she don't like cooking or sewing none. Well, that's okay. I think a woman should have the right to make choices about her vocation and or domestic chores. You're sounding like the king there. Yeah, another thing, it's kind of hard to trust rumors. Word of mouth and such, it's really important to find a trustworthy news source these days. I don't know, guys. I heard that she talks her mind and fights physically with other men. Sometimes you have to be assertive and take control over your own life. Oh, well, I'm just saying, if she were my wife, <laughs> I would teach her a thing or two about being a proper lady. Uh, you, you, you should... Uh, shh. Uh, what are you talking about? I would make her wear frilly dresses... No, no, and no, And carry no. flowers and do pretty things. Wait, wait, wait. Stop right there. Don't, you gotta stop right now. Yeah, I would have her cooking in the kitchen for me every night, making something special. Uh, I don't think you should be saying this right now, friend. She's right behind me, isn't she? Yeah. 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 Oh, fuck. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mohol. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my action-packed co-hosts. Oh, my name is Cassidy, and my pronouns are they, them, and I'm just a raider who wants to sneak into the kitchens to have myself a good bite, a good morsel, and just kind of hide here. These are where the real treasures are at. Yeah, you you're, a re- you're a real everyman. Yeah. Now, isn't that what we're all looking for, is just a kitchen to sneak into and just grab a little bite? Exactly. If I'm left alone long enough, maybe I'll eat a whole apple pie. Ooh, delicious. Well, that yeah. sounds pretty tasty. Maybe even befriend a few of the... <laughs> cooks <laughs> oh that's a very nice thought yeah i'll just blend in start working here even <laughs> boy you're really living the dream <laughs> man that that sounds pretty awesome yeah but who am i i'm jack olander my pronouns are any and all and uh i'm a, a peasant who lives a few days ride away from the castle and uh you know, I, I just found out that anything happened at all. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, news takes a while to travel. Yeah. How can you even be sure that it's true? You know, it's so hard to find reliable town criers these days. Yeah. That's actually very accurate. Fake news. Yes. 
Fake cries? No, they're real cries. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, we've got a fun one this week. Yeah. Because we're going to be talking about The Princess, a movie by Lee Van Keat, which stars Joey King, Dominic Cooper, Olga (laughs) Kurienko, Veronica Goh, and some other great cast members. Yeah. We picked this movie this month because... We saw a preview for it and it looked fucking awesome. That's right. And we are excited to talk to you guys about it. And we made a whole month kind of theme around it of ungovernable women. That's our favorite kind of women here at Swords and Satire. Yeah. Yes. Here at Swords and Satire, our policy is be ungovernable at all times. Yes. (laughs) Never let them know your next move. That's right. (laughs) When they think you're going to zig... Zig, because they're actually thinking that you're going to zag. That's right. You'll be Ziggy. They're thinking you're going to fight them all off, but you tackle one, fall down two stories on top of them, and then roll away. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Did we just see that in a film? Maybe. In this very film we're talking about? Perhaps. Well, I think that's true. Let's hop right into the Ford. <laughs> Boy, these episodes are getting real short. (laughs) But since Cass can't wait to start describing scenes from the action, we should probably have them do a little summary so that you can know what happened in this film. Welcome to the summary, where we summarize the film. <laughs> and I'm going to do a summary Summarily. of that film. Can we just do a summary of a summary? <laughs> so, this movie is about a princess that kicks ass. And takes names. And gives no fucks. Also takes accurate. ass and kicks names. She's crass. She's rude. She's a real swords and satire type. She's a real cool cool dude, which we think of as a gender neutral term here. Oh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, we start the movie in media res, which means in the middle of the media. And... <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> She's fighting her way from the top of the tower down to the bottom of the tower. Is this some kind of inversion of the usual storytelling tropes? Sounds like it. Whoa. She wakes up. She's like, what the fuck? Why am I chained up here at the top of this tower? Maybe I'll have a flashback that will tell me why. And the audience. So, (laughs) (laughs) as she's going down the tower, fighting her way down past hordes of raiders who have taken over her father's castle, her family's castle, even. Uh, Is this a more egalitarian castle? Seems like it. We do get these flashbacks that tell us why she can fight. The whole time when we were starting out, she's like going full-on barbarian on these fools. With a little bit of, like... Martial arts techniques. Yeah, some, like, deflection and some redirection of energy. Yeah. We were like, okay, she's got the heart of a barbarian, but obviously she's been trained. So what's up here? Right? I figured this was just a natural thing that all princesses inherit. (laughs) I was thinking the whole time, she's like a Disney princess. (laughs) Oh, don't say that. How cruel. Well, it was reminding me of Brave a lot. Oh, well, Brave is good. Her mother is alive throughout the whole film, though. Ooh, good point, Cass. I'm pretty sure your theory was just completely dismantled. But her family is in jeopardy. Yes. In danger. And she has to get to them. Not only is she escaping to save herself, but she's actually moving towards something to help save her family from the raiding force. And like I said before... We get these series of flashbacks to kind of show us 
what her life has been like up to before she was kidnapped and drugged and left in a tower. Yike. Uh, she had been trained by somebody her parents had hired to teach her etiquette, but that person also knew martial arts. <laughs> we call that real etiquette. <laughs> and um, <laughs> etiquette, <laughs> etiquette with a lightsaber. Ah, uh, yes. And so it turns out the mom had condoned the queen. <laughs> queen mom. <laughs> queen mom had condoned these unusual lessons for her daughter because she couldn't deny her anything. It seems like a royal family with love in the mix. Like they love each other. Unheard of. I don't believe it. I don't yeah. buy it. Yeah. The the king though is kind of cringe. He's uh doesn't want to accept uh the princess in the role that she wants to fulfill. She wants to become a knight. Yeah, for some reason the person with absolute power isn't interested in changing gender roles. Also class struggle. He says She's his child, and he wouldn't want to send her off to be killed in some war. Ooh, a poignant reminder that that modern-day leaders are only interested in sending other people off to die. Mm-hmm. So he had vowed to have her married off because he didn't have a male heir. And he was going to marry her off to this nobleman named Julius, who's <laughs> basically a super cringe conservative fuckwad. Yep. That pretty much sums up his character arc perfectly. Played to the hilt, though, by Dominic Cooper. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's a villain you love to hate. And he's got his concubine with him, who's actually pretty badass, and I wish we knew more about her. Yeah, Moira's one of the stronger characters. Yeah, like, it's cringe that she's so into him, but... It seems like she's been hurt a lot in her life, and I was feeling for her. I thought she was pretty sympathetic, actually. Julius doesn't really seem to have any redeeming qualities. He just wants to force people to marry him. He's not big into consent. But he's so handsome. <laughs> when the princess... Uh, by the way, that's her name. She doesn't have a name. When the princess refused to marry him, that's when he went all apeshit and took over the castle. With his army. And uh, took the nobles and the king and queen and their younger daughter, the princess's younger sister, Violet, captive. Normally I would cheer on the overthrow of a monarchy, but this seems like the overthrow of a monarchy by a shittier monarchy. Yeah, he was complaining that the king was just running the kingdom into the ground because he was letting them, their foreigners, come in and hold standing in their society. Huh. It's almost as if the themes of this medieval fantasy have something to do with modern day politics, but mm -hmm. that can't possibly be right because things are only literally about the thing that they say that they're about. You can't work with other people and cooperate with others. It makes you weak, apparently. According to Julius. That's right. So he will have all of his soldiers do all the work for him. Exactly. <laughs> so the conservative rich man employ uh, not employs, deploys his personal army to overthrow the government. Yep. Because he thinks that something he was promised, he did not get. Wow, so, I'm sure glad nothing like this has ever happened in reality. Yeah, it was a conservative insurrection. That was unsuccessful. Thanks to one princess. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of really fun action sequences in all these cool rooms as she's going down the tower. And um, the stair sequence was pretty cool too. Yep. She's fighting off all the army, the invading army. This movie is clearly inspired by Hong Kong action cinema. The cinematography, a lot of the shots and fights are filled with a lot of the hallmarks of that style of movie movie making. A lot of like quick cuts and really interesting shots and dynamic stunts in the middle of stunts. Like long jumps, like Cass is saying, running up walls, using improvised weapons yeah, and, and the environment. Cool. It's just badass. And also the princess's attitude is pretty great. 
Yeah, she's got a real self-assuredness that is refreshing. Like they say, she has the heart of a warrior. It's true. And also the fists and feet of a warrior. Yeah. All right, well, that was a pretty good summary. It's probably time for us to head into the Delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Princess. So, guys, I've got to say, we've watched films with dragons, with dungeons, with all kinds of fantastical crazy things, magical devil men eating unicorn hearts, and and hobbits saving the world by throwing rings in the mountains— But I don't think any film has stretched my incredulity like a movie where I'm going to cheer for a noble. Yeah. But I gotta say, the princess was pretty cool in this film. Exactly. Credit where credit's due. I mean, people are underestimating her from the start. And she even says to Moira during one of their fights, uh, when Moira says, you're stronger than I thought, uh, the princess retorts, oh yeah, it's okay. A lot of people underestimate me. Yeah, I like that. I mean, we get some interesting intersectionality, right? Because the princess, while a member of the noble class, as a woman, she is, you know, clearly in this society viewed as not having control over her own autonomy. Mm -hmm. She is being married off to Julian. This implies that her mother was probably part of an arranged marriage. In the future, her sister Violet would be part of an arranged marriage. So she's not somebody who just has, like, the noble title obviously is a big one. That gives you a lot of advantages. But not being able to choose your spouse and partner is a major disadvantage. Usually comes with luxuries and creature comforts, but not a lot of extra autonomy. Yeah. That's right. In this here medieval-inspired society... Like you guys were just saying, not a lot of autonomy for women. That's yeah. right. Obviously, the princess, using brute force, kills her way out of that. But a character I thought was a little more, like, nuanced was Moira. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's someone who, like, feels like she has some degree of power within the patriarchy even though it does not give her like freedom i would say she feels like she has a position with control i get the impression that she feels like she has reached the highest rung on the ladder that she is capable of reaching given her circumstances and she is willing to oppress everybody around her to maintain that power which oftentimes is the case for people who have suffered from extensive trauma and don't know how to find alliance with people around them. And uh, she also seems like she wants more. She wants Julius to marry her, but when he scoffs at that, she tries to manipulate the conversation to insinuate she was talking about something else. So she uses her relationship with him to kind of manipulate him in what she says to, like, kind of do what she thinks is the right thing or the smart thing. Yeah, for sure. She does see one higher position than the one she has. Right now, she's the consort to a usurper. Yes. Right? So she's definitely snatching power where there was not an opportunity before. But the queen position, which is higher than where she's at right now, probably the only position a woman could have that's higher than where she's at, Uh, you know, in their limited social structure, she can't get it. Yeah. And so she tries to assume the role of his general. Yeah, an advisor. Yeah. And she is a ruthless taskmaster. Also played by the same woman who played taskmaster in the film Black Widow. Incredible. Nice. And so she uses her sexuality to manipulate him and influence his thinking. That's right. She uses her sexuality to influence his thinking, and when his general is insulting Moiraine and being like, ah, you're just like his side hoe, right? 
you're not respectable, and also I hate you. Right. right. She's Just blatantly disrespecting her in front of everybody. In front of all the troops, and so she kills him with the whip. And it, he expects to get away with this. As a man, he believes that it is his prerogative to degrade women whenever he wants to in this society. Yeah. That's right. There's no shame in his demeanor. No. No guilt. <laughs> and so she kills him in full view of everyone being proving her point quite clearly that you cannot disrespect her That's in right. that manner. And that she is powerful and she feels like she's deserving of more respect. And she will enforce that. <laughs> and that she feels she can get away with that. Yeah. That's a huge flex of like more than just martial power, she kills a general with one whip crack, right? True. And uh it shows that she's comfortable doing that and not worried about the consequences, yeah. Yeah. And so she assumes being the general in this military. But the thing about her rise through the ranks of power is she's only well She's typically been staying within the slots the patriarchy allows women to be in. When she kills the general and takes his place, she's breaking free from that, but only in so much as to elevate herself. And that job is not secure. Yeah. No. It's a risk. <laughs> it's a whip crack away from, uh, let's call it aggressive replacement. You know, talking about Moira is making me think about the patriarchy like you guys have been talking about, yeah. and how they are stuck within it in these roles they're pigeonholed into that typically don't have a lot of power, mainly the women Gender in the story. Roles. Yeah. And so they're trying to find any wiggle room they can, these characters, to carve a space out for themselves that might give them a little bit more. Moira, the princess, Lynn, the queen... You know, they show how they will use their sexuality to try to get more or having skills that other people don't have to make themselves invaluable or accomplishing things out of the sight of those in power, the men in their society. That's right. The mom condones Lynn teaching the princess when she was younger in a flashback uh all the martial arts because the princess was so interested in it and she couldn't deny her child this interest. Um, and she just said, just do it out of the side of the castle. Yeah. You can get away with it, basically. Right. I mean, that is how people with limited power often find the way to flex what little autonomy they have by subverting their expectations. You know, she's expected to be off taking etiquette lessons instead she is using that opportunity to learn how to fight and that skill will eventually literally save her life so these are forms of soft power that we're talking about that people will take advantage of whenever they can to kind of flex their own autonomy over their lives and to kind of pursue their own agendas and it's something that is easier to do because of bounded rationality Basically, it means that there's only so much one person can know at a given time because of the perspectives they take. Their intersectionality, like you were talking about before, Jamie, like their position in society and all of the intersectionalities of their gender and race and class and everything. And also just the limited amount of knowledge one person can have. Right. And like the attention they can give to any one thing at one time. And so that leaves a lot of room for people to do things in the margins. Yes, it does. That are out of the purview and, and the like panopticon like <laughs> viewpoint of the people in power and in charge. Well, in the panopticon, you'd have multiple systems. It's true. Looking into this. I mean, but that so, is not how this particular kingdom was set up. No, but like that would be where like you had ha people self-policing. Right? right. But so what I'm trying to say is like just these liminal spaces are where people can find, they can exercise soft power. And 
pursue things that they wouldn't otherwise normally be able to. So with Moira, we kind of see the typical, oh, female competition, females competing with each other or women competing with each other in a patriarchal system because that's the typical narrative, right? Like, that's the only way they can get ahead above other women. Right. And to claim power. But with the other women in the movie, we see them working together and how they're kind of stronger for it. That was my exact point with Moiraine. Moira. Moira. (laughs) Wrong wrong piece of media. Right. She, all the power she gets is only for herself, actively putting down the other women trying to get power. That's a great point. In the character of Lynn, we get this juxtaposition of a woman who has kind of secret knowledge, right? Like how to defend herself. And she passes it on to the princess and it ends up benefiting both of them. Yeah. It's and true. society at large, I guess. Yeah. She's hired in the role of a tutor for the princess to teach her about women's etiquette. <laughs> but she is a trained martial artist badass, and so she passes that knowledge along. You know what I always say? Women belong on the battlefield. That's right. <laughs> and you're absolutely right about how those women working together are the women that actually change things for the better. That's right. They end up pretty much back where they started because they were already in positions of power. But they have improved the system so that other women can start pursuing opportunities for themselves. Mm -hmm. More autonomy. That's right. Yeah. Whereas Moira's approach was going to be, maybe I'll get power. And I don't care who I squash for it because the real value she was showing was how good she is at putting women in their place. Ooh, yeah, good point. And reinforcing the systems of control that are already there. Exactly. Hey, but you know who else has incredible power? Our patrons. Oh, yeah? That's right. What do they do with that power? (laughs) They use that power to support our show. And then they get the benefit of bonus episodes and the ability to vote on movies we watch, to keep updated with us, and can generally just be awesome people who can be proud of being part of our community. That sounds pretty awesome. But, like, what would somebody do if they wanted to be like our patrons? That's a great question. They could go to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire Take a look at our membership tiers, and if they have the means, sign up for one of those bad boys. Oh, that's pretty hype and easy. It is very easy. That's right, because a warrior princess can change the way the people think, but so can art. So if you make art, you can change the way people think too, or you can support some of your favorite artists along the way. Yeah. That's right. But now back to our show. And pretty much this is a good example just because every social movement that's really successful is successful because so many people got together to work toward building a common goal. Very rarely do positive social changes come from one individual trying to destroy something about society. And just getting what's theirs. Yeah, it's a good point. Also, the thing you said about marginal thinking, was it? It was about being able to do things in the margins, in liminal spaces, because of bounded rationality, because of a limited focus, just because that's based on the bounds of one person's ability, like a person in power. Right, right. To be able to focus on any one thing at a time. I also think that ties into the idea of marginal thinking, like you were saying. Liminal thinking. Okay. Because the system they put in place meant that in order to break out of those roles, the only system that people could think of to get out of this was violence. Right. And that is the case for at least American society. It seems like typically a lot of our social social advances come from rioting. Right. The civil rights movement 
was making good progress, but after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., there were three days of pretty much nationwide rioting, which is the main reason the Civil Rights Bill got passed. Because they only took it seriously when someone was assassinated and violence broke out all over the country. You need action to spur action. And unfortunately, that is not the only example of riots being what gets the change through. Sure. And so until we change this liminal thinking, unfortunately, like this movie, we celebrate the violence bringing change because I feel like it's so familiar. So one of the things that I was able to get out of this, right? I was kind of like blowing it up a little bit. What? is happening that's allowing for this change to occur besides the violence. Yeah. Which is the tool they use. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening, though, is that Lynn was teaching the princess and giving her these tools. Yes. So I kind of got this message that through education, you can kind of claim your empowerment. (laughs) I love that. that. That's true. And it's like a secret education, right? This is like... This can be a good metaphor for a movement kind of percolating behind the scenes. Right. And educating yourself is resistance. That's right. And and educating others. If you have the skills and the knowledge, passing that along to others to make everyone stronger. And we like that. Yeah. And able to put up like a larger resistance movement. And I know that that is a big part of real world resistance movements, too. So I was happy to see that as like an integral part of this film. Absolutely. I enjoyed that as well. All right. So before we move on, I want to talk a bit about the cinematic elements of this and kind of the interesting inversion that this movie takes of the usual trope of action movies. This is an escape movie. Now, that's not totally novel of course i mean die hard is also an escape movie right yeah a movie where you have a character in a tower trying to get out is not completely novel but this does really change the usual dynamic of starting from the bottom and working your way up which even is a theme in die hard you know started from the bottom now we're here no 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 drake allowed (laughs) yeah thank you jack um Thanks to the North Pole on YouTube. Yes. A great series, by the way. Everyone should check out. You know, a lot of times it's like the hero fighting their way to the top of the tower to save the princess. The interesting part of this movie is that we are following the princess. So we start at the top of the tower. Nobody's coming to save her. She's saving herself. So the chatter around the castle, which I I really like this, is like, oh, there's some hero, some implied to be male hero yeah he's working his way up the tower to foil our plans but that's not what's really happening yeah there's some vigilante on the loose going to save the princess yeah (laughs) the vigilante was the princess we were all along yes or was the princess inside of us all along either way the princess we the princess we met along the way something like that i love her fire she's so confident that she will go up against any foe, no matter how large. I mean, she fights that one big dude with the helmet. That's a classic fight scene right there. That guy looked like he just walked out of a sex dungeon. <laughs> looked like. And he was just taking a piss break. <laughs> one of the highlights of the film, please don't steal my epic moment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and right when she is in the bedchamber at the very beginning... She's in shackles in a wedding dress. She just starts wailing on one of the two guards who comes in. And the other guard who's not fighting her is just watching (laughs) because it's so such an unexpected spectacle. He's like, I just want to see how it plays out. They're both just watching at first because she starts by screaming because she's dislocating her own thumb to get one of her hands out of the cuffs. Yeah, they're just like, whoa, this chick is crazy. (laughs) Pretty awesome. (laughs) No kind of princess I know. (laughs) Yeah. And then she just beats the crap out of him, which was beautiful. 
If I were one of those guards and I saw her dislocate her own thumb to get out of the shackle, I'd just open the door and be like, you earned this. See ya. You earned it. But I mean, it's great, right? Like, we're getting this female action star who is being given so many of the typical, like, male action qualities and traits. She breaks her own thumb to escape. She's fighting against unknown odds. And she's winning, and it's not like... To me, it doesn't feel forced. It feels like it is a perfect setting for this. It feels like it is like the story was crafted around this concept and that the cinematographic elements and the story writing elements are perfectly suited to the events of the film. Fighting from the top down, kind of representing this change from these different lifestyles. She's lived comfortably. She's been at the top of the tower She fights her way down and becomes a different person. But also at the end, she changes the people around her by having the king say, hey, daughters in my kingdom can make their own decisions. Now, of course, there is a problematic element that it requires a man's authority to make this change. But we understand this in the context of monarchy and royalty. I think it makes sense and it still tells a good story. You're absolutely right. A man did pass that law. However, we saw, based on her decapitating a monarch just moments ago, it was not the only way for that to be accomplished. Very good point. (laughs) She could have taken the crown for herself and then fought everyone off. Ooh, that's a pretty good ending. (laughs) Now all the daughters of the kingdom can decide for themselves, and she just yells, uh... I don't need your permission, old man, and just stabs the... (laughs) Sometimes you gotta do it. Sometimes you have to remove the shackles that have been holding you back for years. He just turns to the camera and goes, teenagers, am I right? (laughs) So, yeah, as a storytelling style, it's really interesting. And it kind of blows up the idea of the hero's journey. Because... Like you said, Jamie, she's already starting with all of the skills necessary to help herself and to accomplish her mission of saving her family and liberating the castle. Yes. And so she's she's not going through a transformation herself necessarily. Right. She's already got the connections with other people that help her. She has her mentor already. She has um, all the people in her life that are her allies, and she already has this confidence within. She's already gone through this in the past. This is kind of after that point. Well, you made the great point that this was an in-media res story. Yeah. Which which means in the media of the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which of course, means in the middle of the res. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, you, you put it so well. What is changing is the systems around her right and what it does is it shows how vital education is and passing that along to other people and your relationships with other people it totally changes the framework of the story i know we're focused on her because it's her escape but it shows how she's not just acting alone she's part of a group a community And it's the community that's important and worth preserving. I love that. And Mm -hmm. so it really changes the focus of the whole story. It's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. All right, guys. I could talk about this surprisingly deep movie for a lot longer, but it's probably time for us to head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Cass, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 bladed whips? I do, Jamie. You know, I gotta say, one of my favorite moments is when she's running down the stairwell that's like in the middle of the tower in the center. And uh, it has all these rooms off of it. It's really thick. Down the turret. It's tall and thick. 
Hmm. <laughs> and- no wonder it stood out to you. Nice. <laughs> uh, she's got villains behind her, villains ahead of her. Villains to the left of me, villains to the right of me, villains in front of me. Villains inside of me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's a different poem. And uh, she's fighting off one dude who's kind of been dogging her the whole time. And uh, she sees that she's getting hemmed in. And she's like, nah, not today, fuckers. She tackles this guy and takes him off the edge. And they're flying down the center that's just open. Down all the way to the bottom of this fucking thing. And she does it in an arc so that they fly maybe two stories down and then hit the edge and landing of the stairwell on the other side. So they go down and across, luckily for them. And uh, This is one of the set piece stunts. Yeah, she lands on the dude. True. He's it's not a cartoon so he doesn't like die. But he's pretty Wait, you're saying that <laughs> when somebody lands on you you only die if it's a cartoon? Yeah. And uh, I thought that the point was that this is a cartoon. They both kind of like roll their way into the stairwell on the other side once they land. And they're just kind of laughing there together, and they had a little moment. And yeah. so I thought that was pretty fun. That is a good scene. That was nice. And it was also badass. And epic. Yeah. And a moment. So I really enjoyed this movie because it's exciting from the beginning, and it holds your attention the whole way through. It's action-packed. But I thought the flashbacks, for the most part, were pretty great at building the characters and the story and helping flesh out the world around the action. So I appreciated the storytelling style and the set pieces were all amazing too. And the acting was fun. And there were some cool comedic moments. Uh, So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 bladed whips. Not bad. Yeah. How about you, Jack? What's your epic moment or feature, and then your rating from one to ten bladed whips? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, good. My epic moment has got to be when she effectively has first started going on her rampage. She has briefly gone through the house, or the tower, fought a couple of guys... And she knows this castle well. There are servant corridors behind the wall. Yes. And there's a scene where she is listening in on Julian and Moira talking in one of the rooms. Yeah. And they start making out. Now, the princess has a sword. And the walls All are princesses made... should have swords. Yes, the walls are made up of slatted wood. With wallpaper over them. And so she hears where they're backing up against the wall and they're making out, right? So his back is about to be on the wall and she has a sword lined up right between the slats of wood to stick it through and kill him. So good. And she, right as he's about to step back, she shoves the sword through and there's a knock at the door and he stops moving forward and the sword stops just like an inch of his neck. Buzzkill. Yeah, but I was like, oh, that was such a good plan. That would have just ended it right there. It was great. It was really cool. Really cool scene. Stealth, tension, would have been an excellent assassination. More a little bit more roguey than barbarian. Yeah, True. that's why it didn't work. That's right. Play to your strengths. It's like when you have you know your player's stealth check fail, but like they don't get caught. Like it was like a really close to the target number, so you're just like, oh, you just didn't make the kill, but you don't get like found out. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty epic. Yeah, and uh, considering the movie as a whole, obviously. The patriarchy was a massive theme of it, and that was pretty obvious, right? Going into this, that's what we came for, and we got that. (laughs) (laughs) We came to see the patriarchy get what for, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And it's just so fun in that way. I love the just, like, 
kick in the face attitude this movie takes. You can't put him down, and if you try to, you're gonna get your ass kicked, right? It's a, it's definitely like a, uh, a, a power fantasy. I yeah. feel like, and it's so fun while they're doing it in the best way. It is. Yeah, I love the villain. I love the protagonist, and uh, just the dynamic between all the characters is great the whole time. Uh, for me, I thought the fight scenes. Uh, they got a little repetitive at times. So, I mean, they were awesome, but they, they just became a little bit of the same thing at times. So there were parts where it dragged. That's fair. So if I'm going to dock the movie, it's only just going to be because of pacing. But, uh, overall, I like this movie a lot. I think I'd be down to see it a couple more times. Well, nice. I definitely want to see it again. Same. Yeah. I think for me, it's sitting at an 8 out of 10 swords. Good rating. Or is it razor whips? What razor whips. Nice. That's the or, one. Uh, bladed. Bladed whips. Bladed whips. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Very nice. Nice. But what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment and or feature in rating out of 1 to 10 bladed whips? You gotta tell us, Jamie. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you guys asked. I think that I'm going to say my epic moment is when the big Uber Chad in the <laughs> crazy helmet comes into the bathroom, yes. takes an extended urination <laughs> while the princess is hiding in a bathtub behind him. He turns around, sees a mirror, goes like, oh, yeah, I'm looking good, and then walks out of the room. Yeah. It I think he even strokes his abs a little bit. I think he does, yeah. And this Flexes, guy, yeah. yeah, this guy is, he's toned up, he's jacked, he's looking good, he's got a positive body image, love that about him. Mostly nude, wearing a loincloth. Yeah, I would say he's in full barbarian mode with just the helmet on. And yeah. the helmet makes no sense. No. The helmet does nothing but cut his invisibility down to, like, a tenth of its potential. This is why I, he looks nothing like the other raiders at all. This is why I was yes. saying, like, he just came out of a sex dungeon or something. He's just like, yeah. He's just taking a pee break. He's got leather loincloth and whips and chains and stuff. And the helmet cuts his visibility down, like, 80%. It sounded kind of like you said invisibility. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> it really reduces his stealth rating. Yeah. Everything else would be fine. He doesn't have any other stealth penalties except for that clanky helmet. And it improved the princess's stealth capabilities. True. I mean, he had, she had advantage because of his helmet. That's right. But yeah, so the princess is just hiding inside this bathtub. Now, later on in the fight scene... I kind of wanted it to just be that that guy walked into the bathroom, did his business, checked himself out, and left, and that was him for the whole movie. I guess when you have a guy like that, you got to get him into a fight scene. But I just thought it would have been kind of beautiful if he had been a completely incidental character. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Just a bypasser. Just like somebody to add a little flavor to the world. Or like a sweetheart. Something unexpected. Yeah, or that. Like, he sees the princess and he's like, oh, I really don't think that this is good, what they're doing. Like, you just do your thing. I was just here for some gold. Yeah, I would respect that, too. The fight scene with him is all right, but just that first scene, I think, really sets the tone for the movie that things will not be what you expect, that there's a good sense of humor at the heart of this film, and that, you know, we're going to get these wild and wacky characters that are just so lovable. Even when they're being dastardly. It's for true. All of that being considered, I think I'm going to give this movie 8 out of 10 razor whips. Or bladed whips. Nice. A rating system that I came up with. Yep. <laughs> I think it's a really great film. And, you know, we had a really good discussion where I think we dug a lot deeper into this than somebody might give it credit for. Like Jack said, some of the fight scenes do get a little repetitive, and that's going to hurt a movie like this. That's going to hurt a movie that is 60% action. The action needs to stay fresh all the way throughout, or it's going to get a little stale. And unfortunately, that did happen. Also, the flashbacks near the end got a little repetitive. Thank you for reminding me. After, like, the sixth flashback, I was like, this is a good device the first three or four times. Five plus times, you're starting to really push 
the limit of how this same cinematic device can be reused. So it loses a few points for that. It definitely gains points by coming in right at that sweet, sweet 90 minutes, which you all know I love a movie that can tell a good story in 90 minutes. And for having these amazing characters that are really memorable, including the princess. A lot of times I feel like the lead character of a movie is not my favorite character. In this case, she pretty well is. Nice. So yeah, 8 out of 10 bladed whips. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. You got to take it because I'm not going to change it. And uh, maybe I will. But, you know, for now, that's what I want to stick with because I really had a good time with you guys watching it. Yeah, it was a great time. And, you know, I think that'll pretty much do it for us here at Swords and Satire. But thank you so much to our listeners for joining us every week. Or if you're a new fan, welcome aboard. We hope you had a good time. Maybe consider following us on social media if you like the show. You can follow us at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And keep up with our memes, the movies we're watching, and reach out to us if you want to let us know what you thought about the episode. Uh, And you can tune in next week to hear us talk about the first season of Castlevania. You mean the series based on my favorite video game series? That's right. It's a great show, and we're excited to talk about it. That's right. Gonna be pretty awesome. And like we said earlier, we've got that wicked Patreon, but that's not the only way to support the show. Another great way you can support the show is by telling your friends and family about us. When you share our content, you get more people to enjoy some of your favorite art with. Yeah. And what's a better way to enjoy your favorite art than with your favorite people? There is no better way. It's just special. All right. Well, until next time. Hail Hail Prom. Prom!